What's up, Internet, and welcome back to another edition of the Comics Pals Book Club. I'm your host this month, Pete and Bessie, joined by my pals in podcasting. Say what's up, everybody. Uh... What's up, everybody? (laughs) (laughs) That worked pretty well, better than I thought it would. Uh, So for this month's edition of the Book Club, it's another one of my picks, and we are going to be reading Spider-Man Life Story by the creative team of Chip Zdarsky, who wrote it, penciler Mark Bagley, and colorist Frank D'Armada. Uh, so let's kick the show off the way we often do by talking about our overall impressions of the book before we get into some of the nitty gritty. Sean, why don't you start? Sure. Uh, this was a book that I was really looking forward to reading. Uh, I bought every every issue, but it just slipped away from me while it was actually releasing. So I never got around to it. But I knew this was coming up. So it's like, you know, fine. Uh, I really liked it. Uh, it deviated. I forgot what it was about, right? So in the 60s (laughs) issue, it deviated. And I was like, wait, whoa, this is not what happens. This is not the story. (laughs) And then I remembered, oh, yeah, it's actually just a completely different narrative. And I really liked that. There were some things about it that I didn't like. We'll get into all that jazz. But uh, uh, overall, I think that this is probably Chip's best work that I've read. Um Daredevil's not done. When that's over, it might end up being that. But this was very concise. Uh, It hits most of the big moments that you would expect to see in the life of Spider-Man. And I like that aspect of it. And it well covers a lot of the ground that has been touched on in in the modern, you know, the regular uh, timeline. And it, it, it brings those things in without aping exactly what's happened either so it feels like a fresh read it's it, it, i enjoyed it quite a bit awesome so uh what about you phil it reminded me a lot of superman secret identity by kurt Busiek and uh stuart imminent which is like uh kind of another book about like a through the decades tale of uh a, a superman and uh, I really like those stories a lot. I, I like I like approaching um, a character with such a, a legacy like Spider-Man and, and kind of giving him a, a full life story here. Uh, see what I did there? <laughs> I love this book. I thought it was terrific from start to finish. Uh, there was something in a way that kind of like... In a way that kind of like Grant Morrison or, or Hickman are able to kind of isolate and pinpoint the qualities of a character that work. I felt like Chip Zdarsky kind of took all the elements that make Spider-Man work and, and what what is attractive about that character to readers and, and put it in a, in, a, in a single lifetime narrative. Um and like Sean said, he, he caught all the major beats of, of his publication history, both good and bad, and, and kind of found a way to make it work narratively. Uh, it was terrific. It was absolutely wonderful. Kale? I actually did not like it very much. Um, I I found it... Sean mentioned that it, it felt concise, and for me, I think it felt too, a little too concise. I felt I felt like each issue was and you know by by its very nature that's exactly what it is snapshots of one man's life with no 
real connective tissue between each issue. So I, 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 just, I had a lot of trouble at not keeping up, but like just feeling like this was all one narrative. Okay. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, for me, Bagley just has not evolved as an artist since Ultimate Spider-Man. And I guess that's fine. You know, you gotta look, you gotta stick with it. But it just, like, for me, it just, his stuff is just the same as it has been 20 years, 20 years ago when I read Ultimate Spider-Man number one. And I just don't, it just didn't work for me here. Okay. Kelsey, I'm bringing the heat, baby. Um, so as for me, I would say I, I fall, uh, far more on uh, Phil and Sean's side of the argument where um, I, I definitely connected with, with this book um, and I liked it a lot. It's it's uh, in a lot of ways um, a Spider-Man story that I think I've been waiting for for a long time because um, it really, I think it strikes a good balance of um, tapping into what makes the character work and has made the character work at different points in his um, publication history. And uh, and I think it it also does a good job of freshening a lot of those things up. So you hit a lot of those same emotional beats, but it does it in ways that um, don't necessarily feel uh, as predictable as they could have been. You know, so I, I think that um, you know the the fact that like this book took less of a kind of um, grand design approach of just trying to take the beats as they happened and connecting them together, but also wanted to kind of shift things up a little bit, like worked for me really well. Cause I was able to, um, in a way that it sounds like kill wasn't, I feel like all of the connective tissue is like knowing, you know, these stories for what they are and like how they felt when they were original, right? So like looking at them here and seeing how some of them are brought to a logic, like a quote unquote logical endpoint rather than rubber banding back to a status quo was something I was really excited to explore. And I think Chip did a good job of, of doing that. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely, I like this as a, as an approach to Spider-Man and, and I thought it stuck the landing, um, for the most part, I think there are definitely some things to call out, um, which Sean and Kel have alluded to. So, I mean, let's let's dive right into it. Um, so, I I think it makes sense to take a look at this book in chronological order, obviously. Um, so, let's start in issue number one, the 1960s. So, Sean, you, you called out in your initial thoughts about how uh, this kind of swerved for you. Um well, not for you, but it, it just swerved, and you, you liked those changes. So I, why don't you expand on that a little bit? How did this first issue work for you, and what, um, what about it worked for you? Well, first of all, Peter's, Peter's hem and haw about whether he should join the Vietnam War I thought was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that someone of that age would have been thinking about, especially someone who had powers like he does. Uh, and I, I guess in retrospect, I don't really remember if that was something that came up in the books at that time, but if it didn't, it should have. I, I think it did. There were a lot of, uh, protests in the book at the time, I believe that Peter sort of, he sort of stood on the, the, the back end of, I pondering this, uh, this topic, I think. 
Yeah, so that that was really, really well done. Uh, and I liked the way that that thread actually really carries over all the way through the book. It's a it's a more magnified version of of, of the Uncle Ben moment. Mm-hmm. So that was awesome. Uh, I I don't know though. Th- this issue like that that was cool and stuff, but I don't think I really liked so much the way that things went down with Green Goblin. Uh, I think that that was a little easy in the way that he gets dealt with for a character who's supposed to be Spider-Man's greatest nemesis. Um, he doesn't end up being that, and I guess it's a you know it's a swerve or whatever. But uh, that I I didn't care too much for. But overall, I did enjoy this issue, and I most especially liked uh captain america and and his his role in this issue because he is very much um a character who spider-man has looked up to forever and so for him to be the one to say hey man you gotta you gotta follow your own path i really liked that that was great yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I love that scene with him and Cap, and and I think the Green Goblin issue. Um, I I agree that I think that's one of the the least clean parts of the book, and I think it speaks to uh, the point that Kale made in that, um, as nice as it is that this is a concise six issue experience, I think having certain things like feel too truncated is like kind of a casualty of that and i think this is the worst offender i think as the book moves forward i think it does a better job of presenting those bigger moments in a slight kind of snapshot way that makes sense rather than this which feels like it truncates a major event didn't i feel like this the the stuff with a green goblin here this is just a a different version of what happens around the events of spider-man blue if I'm if I'm not mistaken, the the beginning of Spider-Man Blue has him flashing back to his his fight with the Green Goblin, where he rescues him from a fire, and then throughout the book he goes and and sees Norman in the hospital, and and uh, Norman has the memory loss and and he can't remember, and I think the only real difference here is is that Gwen figures out peter's identity for me for for me this this first issue stuck the cleanest to what we know as the spider-man story well yeah but i think deshaun's point is that it's truncated in such a way that like it very much minimizes norman's import you know and like and it does you know that that one change of gwen finding out that he's spider-man is a a big change and b also like takes away the you know, the death of the Stacy's moments, you know, which is the thing that makes Norman Peter's greatest foe. Yeah, it completely neuters a character who is supposed to be, um, you know, this important piece of Peter's life. And he, he, he still is that, but in a much different way. And by the end, he's just an old man who really doesn't have any power at all over Peter. And that's fine. Like, I would appreciate that as an ending. But the whole getting to that point, by the end of it, I didn't care because Norman in this story is is irrelevant. I think that's a fair point. I I I was trying to really figure out how I felt, and I think the point that the death of the Stacys is what leads to Norman Osborn being Peter's such a kind of 
pivotal moment in his life is a really fair point. But I think where I come down on it is this book treats a lot of Spider-Man's adversaries as kind of backdrops. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's more, it's more about his growth as a character and a character study on someone whose life was shaped by a death of a family member and, and how that informed their entire personhood. Um, and it's not just that it's multiple things, kind of events and, and, and stuff serve as backdrops throughout the entire narrative of the book. Uh, you know, the superhero civil war, a war with Russia, uh, the secret wars, all this stuff. It's all ancillary to Peter Parker. Um, and so ultimately it doesn't bother me that much that, that Norman is kind of neutered here, but I think it's a, I, I think that's a fair point still. So I, while I would say that I think it is, a fair point. I, I would say I largely agree with you, Phil, because like I think that that sacrifice of him being, uh, I don't know, I guess more realized as Spider-Man's greatest foe, it gives it like he still looms over the story in a very personal way because of all of his villains, like the two that we focus on in this story the most are Norman and Otto. And that's because they're the ones who he's had the closest personal relationship with, you know, whether it's because, you know, like Norman is obviously his best friend's father. And like that, that whole relationship dynamic is, you know, well-established and with Otto, obviously like, They've had a lot of very personal brush-ups over the years in a bunch of different ways, which are pretty much all explored. Yeah, and and it's not really a book about Norman. And and I know you can use an antagonist to kind of uh, juxtapose growth of a character, but we don't really have the space for that, and it's not really that type of story. Hmm. And, and also, Chip, and, and stories like these really rely on your familiarity with a character and the beats of their story mm-hmm. to kind of fill in the gaps. Because this story is meant for someone who has an appreciation for Spider-Man. Mm. Yeah, I, I and I, I don't I don't think that it's a book that you necessarily can't read without that context, but I think it's one that is significantly enhanced by it. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of that all-star Superman thing where you can be right alone, but again, it really helps to have just kind of like a real appreciation for, for both comic books, which this book is a celebration of, and just kind of the lore and and, and publication history. So while the, it, the heavy beats of the publication history are neutered, I, I don't think... I don't think it's really an issue because in the back of your head, you, you, you know what they're capable of because it's kind of just a loose like storytelling of it you know that's a that's a very weird uh thing to have to do i i agree but i think that's kind of what it is it is what it is yes but it 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 impact like i i like i said i enjoyed the book it impacted my reading like oh norman's a big deal but in this book he kind of just gets tossed Oh, where's mm. Venom? Man, he's a big deal. Well, and 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 not to jump ahead, but at the end of the book, I mean, that's basically how Peter addresses, you know, all his foes too. He's just like, well, they're all dead, so whatever. <laughs> like, right? It, they they all do kind of feel 
tossed to the side when it's over. Yeah, I mean, I think to Phil's point, though, like, I think that's done in service of the idea that, like, the real obstacles are interior, you know, that, like, at the end of the day, like, it doesn't matter if it's Norman or Otto or the Vulture or Rhino who are mentioned twice but never seen, like, because they don't really matter, you know, like, they're just another another person in the line of people that he face off against, you know, that is that is wild. It's you're going to tell me that Eddie Brock's impact on Peter's life was irrelevant to the grander scheme. No, I mean, that's the thing is I don't I don't think that in terms of like the broader canon of Spider-Man, but I think in the way that this story's told, it has less weight because th- that's not the focus. It, it isn't the focus. You're right about that, but that's the critique. Fair enough. Is that those those characters are pivotal to telling Spider-Man's story because they do have an effect on who Peter is as a person. And the comics and the movies, actually, especially Raimi's movies, did a fantastic job of showcasing that. So for this book to say, eh, whatever, that bothers me as a fan of Spider-Man who enjoys these characters and the ways in which they push Peter forward. It, it kind of treats it in a meta way in, in my head where, you know, in, in, in the subject of, of storytelling, an antagonist is, is, is sort of utilized oftentimes as, as a means for a protagonist to grow. Sure. And this book kind of treats that in a more... It treats that concept kind of literally like all these antagonists Spider-Man have had are some kind of like metaphorical obstacle for him to grow in Pete's words as like in his interior obstacles. And I think that's best uh, exemplified in the last issue when he's forced to confront all his antagonists in his own head. And in his own words, they're already dead because the, the thing is, all of Peter's real obstacles in life were things that he had he had to overcome himself. Whether it was with his family, I mean, it was always with his family ultimately, but with his business too. Right? Yeah, I think it's it's a lot of him reconciling with like broader world issues too. You know, like what is Spider Man's responsibility during a war or numerous wars or as the head of a company or as this or that? You know? Yeah, I'm not gonna keep going back and forth, but to what Phil is saying. That is the story here, but that's not Spider-Man's overall story. And for me, that's a big miss on Chip's part, because if that's what he chose to say here, that's fine. But that isn't what it's really like. But and I guess this sort of goes back to my problem with it is while I agree with you, the very nature of Spider-Man and the way it's published means it can't be that way. You know, if you're or this can't be that way. I love that point. I think that's a really good point. The problem is that if you let, – let's say, for example, that Venom appeared once and died, right? Let's say that was the case. He, he had one big fight with Peter and then he died. He still would have had a tremendous impact on Peter's life. So you still could do that in mm-hmm. the context of the books because even if he went away, his impact will still be felt. I'll tell you what impact I felt while I was reading this book. Every time Norman Osborn was on panel, I heard uh, Willem Dafoe's voice from Spider-Man 1. <laughs> <laughs> dude willem dafoe like whenever i hear norman laugh that's exactly what i hear <laughs> Seriously, and him with those just like those the huge the way he bulges his fucking eyes out <laughs> i can't i can never separate that 
Uh, okay, so let's let's move along to the seventies and issue number two. Um, so uh, I think if you right, like for me anyway, I, I guess I'll start this part of the conversation. I I thought that this this opening to this issue was a clever way to establish like how the anthology was going to work. Um, like the kind of major emotional beat of the last issue is you know Flash going away right and peter like failing to see him off right and that being a thing of like well you don't know when you're gonna see him again and all that and then our next major beat that we visit peter with is the anniversary of his death and he's you know at his grave and this is another you know another thing on on the list of trauma on the list of you know guilt for him um so i i really liked that uh and i assumed it was flash from the beginning, I think, like, the fake out there is, like, you think it's probably Uncle Ben, but, you know, like, given where we left off in issue one, I kind of got the inkling that it was Flash. How did that moment work for you guys? Were you surprised by it, or? Uh, I, I was. I thought it was Uncle Ben. Um, I guess I, Flash doesn't die. So, you know, the, when I was reading this as a trade, I, I didn't expect that you know i was still getting comfortable in what this was yeah. gonna be um what chip does really well in this issue i think is really establish the uh, consequences of life in a way that is challenging in comic books because of you know the revolving door of death uh we're introduced immediately to the fact that flash is dead and i think of the scene at the discotheque where mary jane really lays in the peat for all of this regarding uh, Flash's death because you can see how this real-life death has impacted this circle of friends so um, so personally. And and it's other things, too. Like, you, you know, you see the whole interaction of Reed Richards and how his life has changed because of his life choices. It, it, it really, like, the actual progression of time feels real. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think uh, the Reed example was one that really stuck out to me as being effective because I think um, one of the things that, that I was most interested in this series was how Chip was going to change things through, like, realistic consequences and, like, by touching on things that we know to have happened, but never necessarily are saw through to a um, a logical or some might argue realistic conclusion, you know? Um, so, like, the idea that, like, even for a, a, what is a tertiary supporting character in this version of Peter's life in Reed, like, taking that thread of, you know, um, Sue and Namor's relationship and the logical conclusion of Reed being, you know, the more insular closed off read was something that like really worked for me and i think in the same way that flash's death was a an effective kind of um establishment of how this this book was going to play with time i i really like that that touch so for the flash portion i didn't think it was flash i definitely thought it was uh, uncle ben and um you know i i, I, th- I thought it made sense that it was flash but with with what was brought up with Reed, the two characters who I disliked the most, uh, Chip's portrayal of them were Reed and Tony, and it's a problem that the yeah. comics have had yeah. since Civil War, where writers write them like they are evil, or like they're simply cold, calculating machines, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Reed Richards has not always been like that. He's always 
always had that part of him, but he's a family man. And I don't like it when writers toss that aside. Like, for the service of the story, if it makes sense, if it's that dire, okay. But in this case, it just doesn't resonate with me and it doesn't fit right for him to be that way. He, he does have a part of him that is willing to put everything else aside for science, but normally, almost always, that's for the sake of the world and bettering the world and things that mm. Sue has always been able to and the rest of his family has always been able to understand and justify. Um, that's really not the case here. And so that really bothered me. And I don't think that that's logical that Sue would leave him because of his science. Because uh, there are plenty of, of families in which one or the other parent is very busy and does have a lot going on. And the families stay together. Um, and also... Uh, Reed is supposed to be in the mainline books a mirror for Peter. In in Peter, a positive mirror at that. Uh, Reed has a life that Peter idolizes. He's he has a family. He has, runs a successful, you know, uh, you know the Baxter Building, whatever the hell they do there, however they make money. Uh, he's a world famous <laughs> superhero slash scientist. That's the life that Peter would love to have. And so, reversing that and making him a negative mirror for Peter, I really really did not like. And Kayla, you said you had a problem with that too, right? Well, I I don't know. You know, uh, as long as I've been reading comics, I've always been able to see I've always been able to see Reed and Sue sort of at odds because of Reed's work and not necessarily just because because Reed is a uh uh an evil or calculating person, just that you know, he can be chronically distracted by his work. Mm. In a, in a way that I could definitely see, you know, after 10, 15 years of marriage, you know, you would just go, okay, fuck this shit. I'm going to go live with the the abs man from under the sea. <laughs> the hunky merman. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that was very much my reading of it too, Kale. Um, and, I, and I think that it, to Sean's point, like that's mirrored later on with the breakdown of, of Peter's marriage. You know, which was something that I also felt like, given the context, made sense. Mm. Yeah, I mean, either way, you you could you could you could say this makes sense or that makes sense. This is logical. That's logical. In real life, both scenarios play out various different ways across yeah, for various sure. families. For me, it didn't work because it's yet again taking Reed, who was a family man, and the Fantastic Four that have been doing this, you know, in in real time since, you know, the 60s. And Sue is just as much a part of those adventures as Reed. And that's something that they love. And taking that family away, taking those characters away, I don't, I don't, that's not cool with me. I didn't like that. Yeah. And yeah, again, that sort of speaks to my issue with the concept of this book is it's just, it's a real life look at characters that aren't meant to be, looked at that way yeah i mean I, I, for for me and it sounds like phil i think in in that example like i i agree with you in general but in this case it's um it's different and that i appreciated that for it or i appreciated it for that i suppose yeah i have no i have no issue with chip using reed as kind of uh a tool to foreshadow what is going to happen in 
Pete's life eventually later. No issue. Yeah, yeah, I would agree there. Um, but so to take it back to the the broader story of the issue, right? Um, you know, we get this whole storyline that kind of sets up Chip's version of the Clone Saga, where um, you know Otto secretly has um, Doctor Warren go and and do this cloning project, and uh, or I guess Professor Warren, um, and he makes uh, this you know Chip's version of Ben Riley uh, a clone of. Um, Norman himself who dies and then uh, we get this you know version of the death of Gwen Stacy which is um, a lot different Uh, so what did what did you guys take of that or what was your take on that whole storyline and how it played out you know I like the 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 change up with uh, Warren you know the the clone saga story is one of the most controversial i guess in spider-man <laughs> history i i liked I, I liked what they did with it but again you know like it was fine but then like the way gwen just, just the you know the way that resolves i really uh, I, I didn't i didn't care for that too much what about it what about it didn't work for you well okay so i guess i get why you wouldn't want to be with a clone of a person i guess um, but it's, it was it, like, it, it was Gwen. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. It was Gwen. Um, and then also the way she died just for me, didn't really have any impact to it. Maybe it's because it was so different than her original death, which, which had so much weight. And of course, again, it's like this, the history of this character that's been going on for so long compared to this series where it's just the second issue. Uh, I didn't feel much about her death yeah i found i found that part of the story really convoluted and and similarly later on with the the peter and ben switcheroo it just felt it felt like it came out of nowhere and didn't lead to anything that was i guess comprehensible for me really i just like i so so it was it was the real Gwen who was in the clone tube. Yes. From nowhere. The the real Gwen or the Gwen we know is a clone from nothing. And then he now he can't be with the clone even though he's known that clone. I it just didn't it that didn't work for me. It just didn't it wasn't it felt rushed and put and you know it felt um uh rabbit sort of rabbit out of the hat just like very very sudden and out of nowhere what did you think phil um when i first started reading the clone stuff i um i groaned audibly (laughs) (laughs) but i was like all right this is like a major story beat from this character's publication history i get it I had to I have to put aside my own <laughs> dislike of this concept <laughs> to embrace the fact that it's part of the web of history of Spider-Man. Um so i i i was able to just kind of suck it up with regard to the whole Gwen Stacy thing. Uh, the the book doesn't really linger on specific moments obviously and i think that might contribute to the fact that things feel rushed. 
But I think it's because everything is kind of a snapshot of an entire decade. And it, again, I think it's it's more emblematic of 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 larger uh, character choices about where Spider Man goes from the sixties through the twenty tens. That said, um, I kind of get it. Uh, you think you know someone their entire life, your entire life or whatever, and they, it ends up being a, a, a kind of facsimile because this person you thought you fell in love with isn't that person. It it, it kind of plays with it, it. It plays with your brain. I I I I get it. I I can see why Peter wouldn't want to stay with the clone Gwen Stacy, considering how in his own head he is as a person anyway. There's also the argument to be made that maybe Gwen didn't want to stay and live a life that she doesn't feel is hers. But that's fair. I and mean, I think Kale would say, then why did the book show that? But uh, for me... <laughs> you read my goddamn mind. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, though, right? There's that black page because there's all that time that we just don't have to explore. You know, yeah. and I think but that's literally, unfortunate. Literally... There, she's she's on that next page, and it could have just been a bubble. Any any sentence would have been greatly appreciated. Even even just the Gwen clone saying something to the effect of "I just gotta get out of here" would have been something. Yeah, I can't argue with you feeling that way. I, I I'm able. To, I, I'm okay with just kind of filling the blanks. But I think I think I think your point about them actually about chip actually exploring his narrative choices a little more in that sense i think that's fair uh two things i did like about this issue and probably the only things i liked about the art in this whole story uh were the design of peter's costume here uh i thought it was just different but just samey enough that i was into it but also the design of the black goblin yeah that was really cool uh, that dude is sick, prop, proper creepy. I, I was into it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, real quick, did all of you know who Professor Warren is normally? Yep, the jackal. Uh, he was creepy. He was very creepy, just in a very different way. <laughs> you can tell he's a creep by his haircut. I mean, wasn't this the same, like, general thing he was going for anyway? In, in... The proper time. In real life? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so... Just instead of becoming a literal goblin. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so let's move on to uh, to the 80s, which, um, you know, focuses a lot on on Secret Wars, really, and, um, you know, that event uh, causing Peter to miss the birth of his his children with Mary Jane, who he's now with in this issue um, a decade later. And uh, the escalation of the um, Russian war, you know, which uh, happens while the heroes are away, uh, you know, dealing with the Secret Wars crisis. Um, so this issue, I thought, was was uh, interesting because I think it really represented the kind of ramping up of of the diverging timeline being more and more divergent, you know. Um, so how did how did this one play for you guys? I really like this issue. Uh, I love the the narrative thread of Pete trying to avoid war and that just being an unavoidable thing sort of coming to a head. Um, I thought that was really, really well played. 
I love that we didn't ignore Secret Wars. I could see that being a thing that, you know, someone might want to not touch on. But not only does it get touched on, but, you know, it gets touched on in a way that makes a lot of sense for reality. Um, And this is something that I wish the comics had done a little bit better, where um, when they all leave, right, all the major heroes of Earth are gone what happens you know uh bad stuff (laughs) bad stuff happens on earth and i i really 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 enjoyed that and then of course we get the symbiote and i love how the symbiote peter has a a reason to wear it that makes a ton of sense he's an older man at this point uh he's slower and the symbiote negates all those problems It, it 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 enhances him, makes him feel young again. And that's something that I could easily see a 40-year-old dude who's, like, in his midlife crisis wanting. You know, we'd all love a symbiote. Uh, and, of course, the drama between Peter and MJ very, very well uh, makes sense. Not because this is what would really happen, but simply because this is who Mary Jane's character is. Mary Jane, the character consistently has always had a problem with Peter going off and gallivanting and leaving her alone. This was a big part of their their life at the same time. In the, in the 80s and 90s comics, this is what they were dealing with. So I love that that was, was, was carried over into this issue as well. And it's like magnified now that they have children too. Right. Yeah. And not to mention that I think... Um... This is another benefit of the story, like, having the consequence of time advancing. Um, Like, the idea that Mary Jane would be cooler about that when they're in their late 20s than in their early 40s also makes a ton of sense. Um, Because Peter's been doing this same shit for way longer, you know, and the ramifications of that are them having a family and them her having priorities other than him. Not to mention uh, the, I guess, the added stress of like what, how Aunt May starts to degrade, right? Like because she, you know, again, a real life consequence of of the advances of time is dementia, um, and that is a major factor at play here. And I think uh, it, it's one of those things where the idea of you know Peter Parker struggling to balance you know his life as Spider Man when he's a young man is one thing, but when he has all of these responsibilities now that he's ignoring to serve his quote-unquote greater responsibility, right? Like, he's not being a father to his children. He's not being a partner to his wife. He's not taking care of his aunt, who he refuses to put in a nursing home, but will allow his, you know, wife, who's taking care of two kids, to take care of, right? And, like, those are all things that, like, are are way, way, way less acceptable for a 40-year-old man, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the the one the one thing I would say uh, against all of the praise that we've given this issue is just that it was a little too much sadness. Uh, there really <laughs> there really wasn't anything bright or positive, and uh, I you know Aunt May getting dementia like that's just, that's a lot that that's a lot. That's life. Yeah, it's life. But Jesus Christ, I, I'm I mean, listen, when you're peaking in your forties, let's see how positive you are. Lots of forty-year-olds have good lives, guys. Not everything is not everything is not everything has to be grim. 
to your point though, like that it's not always that case, you know? And I think that like the book acknowledging the fact that like time changes things and the fact that Peter's not changing is a problem. He could have a happy year life as a 40 year old, but like he hasn't made the decisions that will get him there, you know? Like he is focusing on everything but his family and that has consequences, you know? And I think like the idea that the older you get, the less chances you get to keep fucking up is something that is, you know, that does ring true. But dementia is not a consequence of his behavior. That's true. That's a consequence of time. But the dementia being left in the hands of someone who already has their hands full is. And also, I think, like, again, like, that that is a reasonable concern for, like, you know, uh, a person who's, like, in their 40s or 50s, you know, is that, like, your parents are aging and, like, you have to take care of them now. Yeah, all I'm literally saying is just that there's a lot of, like, bad stuff. And there's nothing bright. That's what I'm saying. At what, and not to put you on the spot here, Sean, but what what would you, it, what can you think of from this era that you might have liked to have seen? Well, it's nothing specific about the era for the simple fact that this book has already taken so many liberties, um, but they just had children and there's never a moment where we really get to see them enjoy that. There's not, we don't get to see them happy with that at all. But, you know, everything, every moment is negative. And that's just not, you know, the, the, I don't I don't necessarily want to see that. Like, I enjoyed the issue, but I would have liked some something positive uh, to counterweight the negativity. All right. So let's jump into the 90s. Uh, so this issue started off with the uh, – the return of Doc Ock and then, you know, establishes the kind of conflict between Peter and Tony that, you know, continues to come up through the rest of the series. And, um, you know, and then we get into kind of like the bigger ramifications of the stuff that was set up in issue two with the clones. Uh, so Phil, I want to start with you. Uh, because I feel like this issue is where they really, really drive home that Tony Stark's a villain, even though, you know, he was already like a war criminal in the, the previous issues. So how did you feel about that? Uh, it's weird. Vindication is spelled P-H-I-L. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just true to life. In real life, Tony Stark is a war, would be a warmonger. This is, he is a warmonger. In real life, he's a, he'd be, you know. Someone that should be in jail. But isn't. But isn't. So that's real life, baby. So, so they nailed it in this book. <laughs> um, what's interesting is how Peter's life has changed. Like, he doesn't have his family. Um, he's, like, hooking up with his uh, an old high school flame of his, but not enjoying it. Like, it's all coming from that deep place of regret that is Peter Parker. And he doesn't even enjoy being Spider-Man anymore. No, he doesn't enjoy anything. Uh, it isn't until he's kind of reuni- reunified with Ben O'Reilly, where it's like, it, it's a literal, like, you're forced to come face-to-face with yourself moment. It's like, he's looking at himself in the mirror, and it's it's a real crossroads. So, for as grim as the 80s part of the book is, I think it's just that natural narrative of, like, the second act of a story is the darkest, lowest part of our character's journey. The 90s kind of represents that turn for him. Uh, And I liked that. 
Because I think Peter Parker is ultimately a person who figures a way out of everything. He's a guy who gets knocked down and gets back up again. I've never really loved the idea, and something that's come up on this episode as well, the idea that being a superhero is wrong. Uh, And the book is very much saying that. Um, And that's... I don't get that at all. So... Um, it, it like it bothered me that that Peter decides that the right thing to do is to give it up, um, to go be with his family. Like I I appreciate that he would that he would want to have a life with his family and a better life. Um, but again, it's it's this idea that saving lives is not what you should do. That if you had these powers the right thing to do would be to not use them. And I don't like that narrative at all. Um, I like Doc Ock coming back. I, I thought um, I, I, it, was, it was time to see a return. Um, I like that he's old. I think that's really funny. <laughs> that's really funny. Dude, I, I, I love that first full shot of him where he's just got the old man hair and he's like, <laughs> he just looks like a goddamn dinosaur. Yeah, I mean, he kind of has a sick cut. Like his haircut is kind of yeah, kind of awesome, but um, yeah, I, I I like that, but but you know the the Ben stuff like, it, Kale mentioned it before, and I totally agree. It's just random. Um, I think you could you could easily remove all the clone stuff from the equation, and um, you just have more pages to do more interesting things. See, I, I feel like it serves a pretty relevant narrative purpose because um, just to push back on, on something that you said before, Sean, like my interpretation of it was less that it's saying that being a superhero is bad, but that like with the greater point of, you know, Spider-Man having a responsibility, like if you have these powers and you want to dedicate your life to public service and like saving people, that's not a bad thing. But I think the idea of like when you have a family and you're not being there for them, you know, your children are growing up without a dad um, because you can't balance your life uh, like that. I think that does become a selfish thing. And not to mention that, like, you know, at his age, like it makes less and less sense for him to keep doing what he's doing. And I want to, I want to kind of uh, jump on what you're saying, Pete. I don't think the purpose of the narrative is that being a superhero is wrong. I just I think I think in life sometimes there are like kind of chapters in it where maybe this isn't the thing you should be doing right now. And for Peter at that time it was like I need to be a dad, but it makes it very clear in the two thousands portion when he's talking to his daughter where she says, This is who you are, you can't neglect this. You're yeah, you're jumping ahead. That I agree with and I was okay. gonna make that point later. But the fact of the matter is that you can't compare anything in real life to having the ability to save countless lives every day. Sure. It's not the same. It's not comparable. So if someone really had those powers, right, and this book is really exploring what it would really be like, you can never say that being there for your kids, watching them grow up, is more important net value-wise than saving real lives. That doesn't make any sense. But what about what about the fact that he handed the the suit and the 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 identity over to someone who 
you know, I, I guess we're supposed to believe is as capable as he is. The Well, in that case, then it would just be all the better for the citizens of the world because then there'd be two people who could do the same thing. I, I don't I don't disagree with your larger point, but I think the the problem is that like these these people, right, like want to have their cake and eat it too. Like Peter lives a double life and like you know, if if that is how he's gonna live, like he shouldn't have kids. He shouldn't have a wife, you know, he shouldn't have a life that he is neglecting, you know, to be a businessman and a superhero. Uh I mean, that's what you say. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm pushing back. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm saying that's that's that worldview is okay, I guess. But again, like the way that the way that okay, so the way that Pete and and Reed get treated in this in this series is like for all your genius, for all the good that you do, you don't deserve to be happy because you're putting quote-unquote yourself above others and i don't see it like that because they're saving real humans that like like in in real life right we we exalt cops right um because they save lives ideally right whatever let's not even get political um (laughs) this is that on steroids and there are plenty of cops who have children and live very fantastic lives and there's struggle there and there's conflict, but, you know, they get to do both. Yeah, but I think to to respond to, like, that example, like, I don't think you can compare those things either, though, quite, because with the case of Peter, like, he's dividing his time between running a, a massive company, which if you were doing that alone and had a family, you would be stretched pretty fucking thin. And then on top of that, he's being a superhero. You know, like, that doesn't leave any time in the margin, really, for his family. The book never presents a counterpoint. There's never, there there was an easy shot to have Reed be the counterweight to show Peter that it is possible. They never do that. Uh, It's, it's just very laser focused on showing how bad it is. Uh, And I don't, I just don't appreciate that because to me, that's, that's not the only way that this could go. And again, I think that super heroics that, that, that's supposed to be something great, and the book doesn't really show that ever. Um, we've talked a bit about the whole like Ben Peter thing already. Uh, how did you guys feel about um, the execution of the the stuff with Norman and, and Harry? I'm always glad to see the Green Goblin die. I don't know. <laughs> Dude's an asshole. I don't know. What do you want? Uh, now, help fill in a blank for me, because this is something I wasn't clear on. How, how did... How did Ben O'Reilly's Gwen Stacy die? I don't think we're told. We're not. Okay. Obviously, there's some subtext about how he had no one at that point, which is alluded to in the next issue. But uh, my first impulse was thinking, like, it's awfully selfish of Peter to have his cake and eat it, too, where it's like, oh, I have a clone that can run my enterprises while I go live a happy life. (laughs) Um, It ended up being okay i guess because like that's what ben wanted to but it it was awfully convenient but i don't know that's comics i guess that's the whole clone Mm -hmm. thing yeah i mean i feel like it's definitely like a clean narrative device to set up where chip wanted to go you know of like taking peter off 
off the table, you know, and letting him go live a quiet life and then having that eventually come home to roost. Um, it, it, it's interesting how they, how Harry is ultimately portrayed as someone who is in his father's shadow, can never get out of his father's shadow and is too hapless and indecisive to do really anything about it. And he dies a pawn. And that's really just a means of how they kill Norman at the end, uh, who's completely enfeebled at that point. And I, to me, the feeling was, the implication rather was uh, leaving demons in the past. So we know Norman is, obviously it's, it's glossed over here, but we know Norman has been an annoying nuisance in Peter Parker's life for his entire adult life. And now that he's going across the country to live with his family, it's like this, he's able to put one of his demons to rest finally. And dialogue-wise, it's alluded to that, you know, everyone keeps dying. There's so much death, all that stuff. Because Peter can finally put this chapter of his life behind him and and be a dad and be a husband. Yeah, I I forgot that Harry died in at the in this issue. Mm-hmm. And and one thing that really bothered me is it goes from Harry dying to the conversation with Peter and Ben to Peter and Norman. And it doesn't there it bothered me that there were no captions to say that time has passed. So for me, so for me, I read him going from, from talking to Ben, going straight to Norman's and then going, oh, you didn't know that Harry died? I was like, yeah, it happened an hour ago. Like, why would? To push back, Kale, there is actually uh, an indication of that. Um, When he has the conversation with um, Jessica, we get the indication that it's been over a week since, since what happened. Uh, there's a, a line where he says, sorry about that. A lot's happened in the last week. And she, she said, I thought you were dead because she hadn't heard from him in that long. All right. <laughs> I, still, <laughs> I still saw it that way. That's fine. Your boy could have used a caption. Fair enough. Uh, I I liked that Norman, you know, was was behind this whole thing. Uh, I like him as a scheming old man. I just, I just feel like he's the kind of character who would always have one last gambit, even if he was at death's door. There's always a way he's going to get revenge, and you know it didn't work. And uh, you know he dies knowing that not only is his son dead because of what he chose to do, but that you know Peter's good, and that's a pretty fitting end for a piece of garbage. Yeah. Well, and and to and and to uh, basically everything that you're uh, you've been saying, Sean, Peter's going to go off and be happy, or he's going to try. Yeah, there's a tomorrow for uh, him. And to and to to end that, you know, basically by rubbing it in Norman's face and then leaving. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so let's move along to uh, issue number five, the 2000s. Um, so Peter's in his 40s. Uh, you know, he's been living with his family for, you know, uh, quite some time. His children are now grown and, you know, um, he gets kind of called back into the life when Ben gets killed. 
and uh, you know, then that eventually drags him into civil war, um, you know, and and you know, really back into the game. So how did how did this work for you guys? This might have been my favorite issue. Um, I, I mean, it references Civil War, right? So that's there you go. <laughs> I guess I should have guessed that one. <laughs> but it 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 de- finally is dealing with what I've been talking about, where being a hero is treated as a negative thing, and now his children are the ones, particularly his daughter. Is the one who says no. You, you're using us as an excuse to hide from what your real responsibility is, and that's exactly my point. That he has the ability to save lives, and he has the ability to protect people, and he's choosing not to do that um, by claiming this responsibility for people who don't need him to be there um, when there are real people in need all across the world, and the point that truly hammers that home is the scene from 9-11 where he's holding up the debris. Okay. Was that was that a 9-11 yes. issue reference? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't entirely sure, but... Uh, that That is exactly why he can't stop because there's things like that that happen. And the 9-11 is a real event that was awful and horrible. But in comics, things like that happen all the time. 9-11 scale events. So for him to shirk his responsibility and his ability to help in situations like that, to just sit home and be a family man, doesn't sit right. And clearly it didn't sit right with his daughter either. Um, but I really loved the the parts with um, with uh, Moreland coming to, you know, kill his family and... Uh, you know the way that his that that Peter's children handle that situation just proves how capable they are, and uh, I, I just love that whole sequence. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you. the The tension there was was really high, and I I wouldn't have been surprised if it ended more tragically. So um, yeah, that I I thought that that whole thing was executed really well. And um, to to your point, Sean, about um about how it didn't sit right with his daughter. I really liked how, you know, when, when she kind of confronts him about it, like she says, you know, now you're saying that your responsibility is like three adults, you know? Um, and it speaks volumes about how like, yeah, Peter's situation has changed quite a bit since, you know, he made the decision to walk away from the life. And, uh, I think, I think at this point in, in the game, I definitely agree with what you're putting down where like, you know, even if it's not, you know, um, like actively being Spider-Man patrolling New York City, there's so much more he could be doing to help the world than chopping wood and being an electrician. Yeah, um, I think what Cap says to him uh, at the end of the Civil War portion of the issue kind of speaks to what you're talking about, Sean, where he says, I won't respect you any less if you go back to your family, but you have to realize, like, your fam- the people that, you know, are hurting our world now will come after your family one day. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what Peter's guilt level is about all the people that he didn't save in 10 years that he's been inactive. You know, there's a, there's a character driven by guilt. And uh, I wish that the book would, would at least uh, try to address that. I I think my impression is at this point in the story, Pete's not really living in guilt as much anymore. He's kind of finally able to move past that. 
I, I don't know if I agree. I think I think the implication with him going to New York on 9-11 was that that wasn't the first time. Yeah, she, she, his daughter makes yeah. the implication that he's done this multiple times over the decade. Yeah, I'm talking about when he finally goes to the Civil War. Like, at this point, like... I don't, I don't know. That was an impression I got, but maybe not because as soon as I turn the next page to the 2010s, it's him immediately back to Uncle Ben. So maybe you're right, Sean. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to talk about Tony real quick. Yeah, uh, sure. I, I said it before. Um, I really, I really, really wish that writers would do something different with this character. This is, this is the Civil War era. So obviously at this point in time, Tony was, um, you know, they, they were on opposite ends of the spectrum. So that, you know, is, is fine. It's just that he just comes across so friggin' bad. Like, <laughs> like, like in, in the Civil War comic, you know, at least for me, it's easy to understand why it is that Tony's doing what he's doing. And there were a lot of people who felt that way as well in terms of, like, getting his perspective because he wasn't necessarily just a piece of garbage. Whereas in this book, that's really all that he is, and that's just not consistent with the character. Well, I think in this timeline it definitely is, right? But to your point, that's, you know, that is, that's definitely Tony being used as a, a device in this book. Yeah, exactly. The other thing was that this book, uh, this issue, I feel maybe, well, maybe this one and issue three, for me at least, did the best job of encapsulating that decade. Because in the 2000s era of Spider-Man comic books, the most important things that happened were, of course, his appearance during 9-11, um, the, uh, the, the Moreland stuff and the Totem stuff from JMS's run, and Civil War. But the one missing moment, of course, is one more day. Right, yeah. Which, um, I mean, AMA is already dead at this point, right? Oh, big time. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm not, I'm certainly not criticizing. I just think it's funny that that, that didn't get yeah. even a reference. No, I mean, that's that loop is tied off. <laughs> the, the reference is that AMA died. <laughs> yeah. You're right. They could have definitely done that. And let's get real, they probably should have. I mean, it's only the best Spider-Man story that's out there. <laughs> so- solid joke, Kale. Uh, who's joking? Um, but I would also point out that the... Uh, oh, her name. Her name's fucking Claire or some shit, right? Yeah. Oh, I was gonna. I was gonna bring up um, Spider Girl as well. Okay. Uh, May Mayday Parker. Uh. Because her uh, first appearance was in '98, and I believe that the um, her line carried on through the 2000s up to I don't know uh, eight 2008 maybe. Uh, but I don't know. Her name's Claire, so uh, fuck that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know where they got Claire from, but whatever. But okay, so moving along, uh, issue six. Uh, is the you know the the closure of this uh, this storyline? It takes us into the 2010s, and uh, a lot has happened uh, since the events of Civil War. Um, this was 
another kind of like interesting, you know, what what might have been, you know, if the Civil War conflict went on for too long, it, it could have played out. Um, so, Sean, as a big Civil War fan, how did you feel about this? Again, I really love when uh, stories address the ramifications of the heroes having their eye off the ball. And uh, the, the, the modern or the real life Civil War had pretty rough implications, but not nearly as bad as this. And I I love the post-Civil War era of Marvel, but I really think I would have preferred to see things go a little bit worse. Uh, and this is that little bit worse. Uh, this is actually a lot worse. Um, so yeah, I really appreciated that. Yeah, I, uh, I got a real kick out of it too. Um, I thought it was... Uh, it, it was kind of like I love the idea where it's just like while well, the superheroes were fighting like Dr. Doom took over it's like yeah that makes sense that feels like a thing that that would happen what I what I really really liked about this issue was that um, the twist uh, on on the events of the of the 2010s uh, with Doc Ock taking miles over instead of Peter yeah yeah. That was the one. That was probably the one real moment where I went, "Oh fuck yeah, okay." Um, I thought that was very interesting, um, and I thought that had a lot more interesting implications. Um, well, you're right, Kill. That wasn't the best part of the issue. The best part of the issue was Harry Venom. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> The reanimated corpse of Craven. That was fucking cool, huh? Yeah. I will say it was fucking cool. It made up for a lack of, like, an Eddie Brock Venom. I, mm-hmm. I just love the... <laughs> that's just really funny. I, I really like it. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, uh, we haven't really talked about uh, Bagley enough. Like, so well-drawn, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I could take it or leave it. That particular shot? The shot of uh, of him first, you know, coming out where it says to hunt you. You didn't like that? That's so good. It's, I mean, it's bigly. Like, I've I've seen this in every, uh, I saw this 20 years, again, I saw this 20 years ago in every Ultimate Spider-Man issue. That's how he draws characters jumping. Like, it's, I, I didn't think it was that landmark. I mean, who said it was landmark? I said it was cool. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like you're just criticizing the guy for having a style, man. I get I guess I'm not as easily impressed with things I've already seen. I don't I don't know. <laughs> like how rude. Jesus yeah. Christ. Jesus. I it didn't work for me. You're the ones pushing it. No one pushed it. <laughs> no, we're not. We it. said we Jesus. liked it and then you made it into an <laughs> argument. What are you fucking talking about? We're saying we like the art and you're turning it into, "Oh, I guess I just have higher standards than you guys." And then saying that we're pushing it. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you're fucking certain shit. And now who's raising their voice? <laughs> that mm. that doesn't mean anything, bro. Mm. It's me. Mm. Um, hmm. let me let me let me restore some (laughs) sense of sanity to this um i really like after the revelation that uh you find out doc ock is in miles complimenting bagley's art is just the three panel stare down between yeah peter (laughs) and miles it's just a like he does such a super job of of drawing 
Otto's face on Miles Morales. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I, I really that's a that was a cool touch. I think uh, that it, it that same effect is really great um, on the part right before like the mind meld moment thing, yes. where it's the last shot of Miles. Like it, it, it that's such a like auto face, you know. Look, I don't, I don't think that uh, that there isn't stuff to critique about about Bagley's art, but I have a real soft spot for his his Spider Man work. So you know, by and large, um, I I really appreciated what he did in this series. He's also one of the most uh, prolific Spider-Man artists of all time who's still in the game. Yeah. So I, I feel like for that reason alone, he was a really good choice for this series. Uh, even though it, it certainly does have some weaker <clears throat> weaker moments artistically. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some, you know, um, <laughs> some of the, like, faces and oh stuff. There's some stuff that feels rushed. <laughs> But I think there are, to, to the point that Phil made, there are just as many moments that are really well executed, you know? Mm. Yeah, I'm certainly not denying Bagley's pedigree with Spider-Man. I mean, he's been on Spider-Man probably longer than we've been alive. Uh, but yeah, just just like I said, it just it just didn't work for me here. Thinking about it, it's possible that he's drawn Spider-Man more than anybody. So yeah, I think, I think Bagley is officially the, the longest-running Spider-Man um artist i you know i i definitely agree with sean there that i I feel like he was the right choice for this for this series and i think for the big moments it hits you know so something i wanted to touch on was we we talked a little bit about about the the use of venom and i know sean you said that you were disappointed by um the lack of eddie brock but uh but you thought that the crave the craven thing made up for it i also really like the moment where peter like runs out of the web fluid and he's like working to you know, make it so that the the EMP thing goes off. That like it's the symbiote that comes in for the final assist. There, that like I, I really like the interplay of Peter and the symbiote, and how like you pointed out when he's using it when he's younger because he like kind of needs it. You know, not just because it makes him stronger, because it makes him as strong as he was. You know, like I and it's the symbiote that saves him from dying. You know, like I I liked how their kind of give and take was played over the course of, of his life. The other, the other thing there too, is that uh, one of the things that I love about the symbiote is that because Peter was bonded with it, it still has uh, memories and a part of Peter inside. So in this moment, even though whatever Peter's trying to do doesn't necessarily matter for the symbiote because Peter's trying to do the right thing. I think the symbiote can recognize that it is the right thing. And so that last vestige of Peter that's inside of it comes into play. I really love that. What I didn't like as much, but I'm willing to give a pass, was the whole battle in the mind thing. Uh, Just because I'm not even sure how this was possible. Maybe I missed something. But uh, it just didn't really, like, there didn't seem to be a, a way that this was able to happen. Uh, it was cool, so I'll accept it as just that. But it, it certainly <laughs> yeah. didn't seem to make any sense. I, I have the same read on that. I don't I don't think there was any explanation offered. I think it is just kind of like, a, you know, it's cool. So you either accept that it was like, well, it doesn't make sense, but who cares? It was It was an effective moment or not, you know? Right. Isn't that how Superior ends? 
Couldn't I didn't tell read you. the end. Yeah. Oh, you you didn't read the end. I think I think that's how it ends. Uh, there's a whole thing with um, uh, Peter's spirit, I guess. Oh. Uh, trying to regain his place, uh, but Otto consistently figures out figures it out somehow or another. Yeah. And eventually, Peter is able to work himself in a position well enough to regain control and then i i I think something fairly similar happens here and then uh something fairly similar happens as here and and then peter gains back control and he's able to fight the green goblin and blah 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 i think you're right i think that's what this is a reference to that yeah that that's that makes sense it's just that in that book you know uh, he was inside Peter's body, so an internal struggle makes more sense. But yeah. you know, as a as a reference, whether it makes sense or not, you know, it, it worked. It was cool. Sure. Yeah, it was definitely cool. <laughs> uh, so I think really all that's left to talk about from this issue is is uh, really the the end of it, you know, and um, and how how Peter goes out. So how did you guys feel about that? Honestly, uh, I wasn't crazy about the way he went out because it's kind of cliche where it's like, I don't know. I, I can't draw a specific reference in my memory, but like I feel like a lot of heroes go out in a fiery explosion saving millions of people. I do like, it was really corny where he his final thoughts are Mary Jane and he says that she is his jackpot. But I don't know. I kind of think... It would have been more apropos for Peter to die. I, one of two ways: either fighting small crime, or you know, like maybe like saving saving someone else's uncle. I don't. know. That's kind of cliche too. Point is, I, I don't think. Yeah, that, I feel like that would have been worse. I, I, I'm I'm on the spot, but I, I'm just saying I, I don't think the explosion to sky thing was the way to go but it's it's not a big deal i'm with you i really you know again i feel like this book overall had like so much like darkness and sadness it would have been really nice to see him die as a as a grandfather you know getting to see the fruits of his labor and all the struggle that he went through having ultimately mattered he knows it mattered and we know it mattered but to see his family having gotten you know to the apex and him being able to rest easy at the end of the book he has the question of whether or not his children will be okay and i would love for him to be able to have them with him when he dies have their children with him when he dies um that's a that's a a well-lived life you know and you know we don't always get that in real life of course and he died on the mission but i just for me personally i wish we could have gotten a little bit of a happier ending surrounded by love. Yeah, I, I definitely would say I agree with that. I, I I would have loved for it to end the same way that it does, but with like Peter being the one who's passing things on to Miles rather than MJ. Like if he had gotten like, you know, really hurt really bad on this mission, right? And he's like, I physically can't be Spider-Man anymore, but like I've done all I can do to pass the torch and set up this next generation and like, you know, I've earned my rest. You know, I think like that would have been a, a nice ending, you know? I, I, I don't think 
Peter would ever be that person. I think he would always try and figure figure something like that out. Yeah. He I mean, had he not been able to do it, he would have figured out how to control the spider slayers or some horse shit. <laughs> um I, Sean, do you think I know this is what you uh said you would have rather happened what you, the scenario and the ending you laid out do you think this character deserved that this version of spider-man yeah i do i think that he's he's saved uh countless lives he's he's saved generations of lives and i think that anyone who has done that certainly deserves a happy ending an ending that is surrounded by again love and the ability to see that what you chose to dedicate your life to was worth it. I'm with you. Mm. I like that. I will say though, I did really like um I liked the last page a lot. You know? Uh I I, I liked the the kind of taking it back to the whole the Uncle Ben of it all. You know? Like addressing that as the final note that, you know, ultimately, and Phil made this point at the beginning, right? That Spider-Man as a character and Peter as a person defined by trauma and by guilt of feeling as though he could have made a difference and, and he didn't, you know, and he paid a price for it. And the idea that, um, that he came to terms with that, you know, uh, well, seemingly, you know, a good amount before he died, um, that, is uh i think that is a a really good note to end on despite the fact that we don't necessarily get that pure happy ending that that we would like you know i just realized on that last page as the muggers getting away spider-man shoots a uh a web he didn't have webs at this point it's a dream kale (laughs) (laughs) he's dead pete Well, that's a flashback to earlier when he wasn't dead. When he didn't have webs, you're saying? No, the, this, this issue starts with the dream. I know what it does. Oh, okay. He's just being <laughs> difficult. Pete made a perfectly reasonable counter to my, uh, uh whatever that you would call that bullshit I just made. Sorry, <laughs> right, buddy. Uh, so... Okay, so I mean that that takes us through the issues at large, right? And uh, I, I did just kind of want to end it on um, a question for all of you. So recently on the show proper, I remember we were talking about grand design, and Kale uh, made a point that for a character like Spider-Man, that doesn't necessarily make as much sense as a property like the X-Men or the Fantastic Four, which you know kind of has a uh, you could argue a broader mythology, I guess. So how how do you feel like this compares to something like that or a work like Spider-Man Blue that we've seen in the past that does something kind of similar like this, this like slice of life and, you know, seeing that that development? I would put this somewhere between them because I feel like what Spider-Man Blue does and does very, very well is it hits on the emotional core of Spider-Man. Uh, his guilt, his love, his uh, his fights, his need to save people, uh, his family, his foes, his friends. And it wraps it up all in a, a very neat bow so that you, whether you know who he is or not, you know who Spider-Man is when you have finished this book. Um, 
and and what we what what I had said about uh, grand design, I feel I feel like the way that Spider Man's canon goes is, I think it it might it might even be kind of similar to some someone like Batman, where you just kind of have to pick and choose what you want to be canon based on like your big emotional moment and 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 what i think life story does well is it does distill big moments in real time to make uh the history of a man if any of that made sense i think i think it does make sense um and i so i guess to to the point of you know does does it make sense to give spider-man a a grand design type story um i feel like grand design is is more for condensing complex uh character histories into something that's more understandable spider-man i don't really feel needs that because his history is pretty straightforward um you can you can read you know like a spider-man blue type thing and you pretty much understand the character whereas the x-men have so many characters and you know such a rich history of death and rebirth and all this kind of crazy stuff that it it necessitates an easier way to jump in with those characters um so for me i see life story as something a little separate from that that probably makes more sense for spider-man than most other characters uh if i had to say like another character or group of characters that i would like to see a thing like this for um i i would really be interested in something like this from the fantastic four not necessarily because i have a great understanding of their history but because i think that since they have children um and they are older in general their history lends itself pretty well to something like this. I think, I think I'd like to see that too. I, I think Wonder Woman would really benefit from a story like this. Hmm. Her character yeah. history is all over the place. I think Wonder Woman would benefit tremendously from a grand design, like a, 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 an in-universe, just condensing of the com- of the complex background that she has. So, Phil, for for this book, what was your – how did you find that experience? This this whole thing is it's, – it's, it's, just, it's just a celebration of a long publication history of, of a character that's maybe penetrated the larger pop culture more so than any other Marvel character uh, over the last 50 years uh, – I don't know if it needed the grand design. I think Sean's probably right. You could probably do something like that, but I don't. I don't. I think this is just more. I. I, I think it's just a simple celebration of 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 a character that means a lot to a lot of people in a wide age range. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you there. Uh, all right, so let's let's get this one wrapped up. Uh, so we always ask these two questions: uh, what what do each of you rate the book, and would you recommend it to somebody else? Sean, why don't you start? Um, a rating? I'm not so sure. Um, 
I obviously I, I was probably the most vocally negative about the book. That's because I spent more time thinking about it uh, after I read it. But I still do think it was very good. And I, I really did enjoy it, despite what I said. Um, so I would I would recommend it. I think that someone who wants... So in my experience, it's difficult to recommend someone a Spider-Man story once you get beyond Blue. Um, because a lot of his stuff is you know, very, uh, very, it's like a tangled web. Uh, there's just like a <laughs> lot of stuff you got to know. And I don't know that a lot of his stories work well, divorced of the, the, the context of what happened before and after. Yeah. So this is a, a story that I think you can easily recommend someone read after you get past blue that will allow them to enjoy the breadth of Spider-Man's career, albeit in a different way than what really happens, but you do hit a lot of the milestone moments and someone who would like to catch up or, you know, know what Spider-Man was thinking or feeling at a, at a particular time in history. I think this book does that really effectively for what, like 20 bucks. You can't go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Kel. Uh, from my rating, I think I, I, <sighs> I think I'd give it a five and a half or a six. I think it um, it has it has its moments, um, but for me, it's just not it's just not that strong a Spider Man story. Um, and it, it the its execution sort of makes me feel the the what's the word I'm looking for the the non-necessity for this type of story for this character or for a character of this type because the more you sort of look into it the more it just kind of doesn't feel like it plays uh so i i don't think i would recommend this book um i i i probably agree with sean i think spider-man probably is one of the harder uh characters to recommend a book for uh, but I, I I don't think I would go here probably at all. Bill? I love this book. I think it was uh I think it was really endearing. Uh I had a I had a tough day at work, came home and read it and it picked me up. And I think that is emblematic of the fact that it did its job. Uh I would give this book probably an eight point eight out of ten or something. Uh it's a high B plus. Uh, Chip Zdarsky is a terrific writer. I think Mark Bagley is a terrific artist. And um, I think Spider-Man's really lacked a book like this. I mean, there's obviously Spider-Man Blue, and it's a terrific book. But I think I think Spider-Man really lacks these kind of more complete uh, kind of additions in his catalog that characters like Batman and Superman have, where it's just like plenty of individual books you can just give someone and just read it and there's definitely context missing which sean is 100 percent right about that a new reader might be lost on but i think i think the broader character study that's performed here is enough that even a person who isn't a big spider-man fan can kind of fill in the blanks uh necessary because this is a story about a person overcoming uh guilt and tragedy and what that person's life is like in a crazy world of superheroes. Uh, yeah, so I would say I echo a lot of uh, what Phil said here, so I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, 
I, I would similarly, I think, give this like a high B, you know, B plus range grade, um, because I think that it the the moments that really hit, I think, hit hard and hit well. Um, but I but I think that the the criticisms that have been levied at it for um, some of the areas of the art that are rushed or some of the beats that feel skimmed over, like those are valid criticisms. Um, but I think I, I I agree with Phil where I, I think it's the the character study of it is what really makes it stand out, you know? And because there are so few Spider-Man books like this, um, I think that makes it even more special than it is on, on its merits alone. Um, so as somebody who is a, a longtime Spider-Man fan and who has read 90% of the things that this references, um, you know, I, I, I really appreciated it in that way. And I would agree that I think it's accessible to uh, a new reader. I, I think you get more out of it with that context, but I think without it, it's, it's still executed well enough that you can um, get what makes Spider-Man special, right? And and have something to take away from that in the same way as Spider-Man Blue, just not as effectively. Um, because, you know, that's an all-time great book. And, you know, I don't know that this is, but I think it is probably an all-time great uh, Spider-Man story um, because there are so many that have that problem of being tough to, like, just jump into, you know, and work as their own and stand on their own. Yeah, Definitely. Uh, so that wraps it up for this month's uh, edition of the Comics Pals Book Club. Thank you all for joining us here. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this book. I, I hope that you li- uh, listeners and readers out there did too. Um, let us know what you thought about it and, um, you know, follow us on all the social medias and all that stuff. We're at the Comics Pals all over the place. Give us a like on your platform of choice. Subscribe on your platform of choice. All that stuff. Uh, you know how to internet at this point. If you are a first-time visitor, uh, we do do a weekly podcast uh, called The Comics Pals where we talk about everything going on in the world of comic books and comic book media. So uh, if you know, you just tuned in for this one, um, we hope you'll come join us over there. And uh, if not, we hope we'll catch you on the next edition of The Comics Pals Book Club next month. Take care, guys. 